Oh, so let's, let's turn to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. We'll just jump right in and, and we'll go from there. This builder is very important. It's going to be our first builder that we look at in this series. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 says this. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought in his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made men on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Verse 7, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to stay there for one moment. Just I want you to see this as the first mention of grace in the Bible. Noah found grace. Verse 9, This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all the flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all this flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. <clears throat> we'll just pause there for a moment. I don't know that I can accurately depict everything that's happening in the culture of Noah. I don't know that we can do it justice without really getting into a lot of depth that we don't have time for tonight. But I want you to know that it was so perverse that every thought was full of evil and violence. And uh, when I compare their culture to our culture, I see a lot of comparability there. I, I see a lot of things that are going on in our world. And as a way to remove this, this rapid sin, God says, I've had enough. I've had enough. And I have to wonder what the sentiments of God is when He sees our world today. I wonder how fed up He's become with all the continual violence and all the, the damage that's being done with the very creation that He made. So God begins to give Noah instructions on how to build an ark. We're going to move through this story very rapidly. And I think most of you are familiar with it. How long did it take to build the ark? Well, the jury's still out on that. But they believe it's between... 55 and 75 years. Um, my question is, how did you get up every morning with your crew <laughs> and start building something that seemed impossible, that seemed unnecessary, and uh, every morning you get up and you're building this boat with your crew, you've never seen a drop of rain, all you've heard is this voice from God. Isn't it amazing to me, every day for 55 to 75 years, Noah and his crew gets up and begins to build something to protect them from something they've never yet laid eyes on. And Americans act like it's a big sacrifice to come to church once every seven days. Well, I, I applaud you for getting out of bed this morning. It must be a difficult life. I, I think about every morning. He didn't have to feel like getting up and swinging that hammer and laying out blueprints again and again. But every day he did that. You see, the great flood was not just a way to get rid of sin. More importantly, it was to establish a new covenant and create a lineage through which Jesus would ultimately come. Speaking of lineage, lineage, you guys remember the story of Moses and Sarah? Remember when they laughed at God at that promise? Now here is, here is Sarah, she's 90, and here's Moses, he's 100, 
And they have their promised son, Isaac. But do you remember the story leading up to that where they actually laughed at God and they said, is this even possible? Well, that's nothing because I want to take a quick look at Noah and his wife because Noah, man, Noah and his wife are still lighting the candles and and playing Barry White and they're over 500 years old, man. 500 years. Can you imagine blowing out your birthday candle on your 502nd birthday and say, dude, you got a baby on the way. 502 years. 500 years, man. You are the man, Noah. You, you, 500 years. Somehow his wife escaped menopause and they didn't have any blue, they didn't have any blue pills back in Noah's day. And 500 years and he's still getting it done. I, I got I got to tip my hat to Noah. <laughs> that's that's a lot, man. I don't care who you're married to. Five hundred years. <laughs> Lord, help us. See, that was just my interjection. That wasn't anointed at all. That was just a Pat Dale thought. So back to our story. <laughs> and I've got to I've got to imagine, even though there's no scripture given for this, there had to be a lot of. Uh, of people that would walk by Noah in his driveway and say, son, what are you up to? What in the world are you doing? There had to be raised eyebrows and even scoffers. But the reality is, in the middle of any of that flack that he might have got in, we can only speculate that it was there, he kept building. Even though he looked foolish, he kept building. Even though no one could understand what he was doing, he kept building. Remember, these people have never seen a drop of rain. Wouldn't that trip you out if somebody says, I'm building something and it's going to save me from this thing you've never saw? I I kind of understand where they're coming from. But I want to tell you this, that God will always prepare you before the crisis happens. God will always prepare you before the crisis happens. I want you to recall that the ark was God's idea. Building this boat, it wasn't some harebrained idea of of Noah to get up. And I believe that some of you are frustrated right now. You feel like you're in a holding pattern. I know it very well because in there are many ways in my life I feel like that I am. But I feel inclined to tell somebody today that what you believe to be a holding pattern is really a building pattern. You think nothing is happening, you're frustrated, and you're like, God, when is it going to happen? You've not seen the fulfillment of your promise yet, but God is using this time to build you. And now I hate that as a control freak, a recovering control freak, as a man that does not have a wealth of patience. I hate it when God says, I'm building you, son. Just hold tight. I'm not really into that. But he's developing something on the inside of you that you're going to need. Every time Noah built up that blueprint and every time he picked up that hammer, it was because of something that he had yet to see. But God was preparing something. And many of you are asking, where's my breakthrough? I want to tell you today that he's not forgotten what he's called you to. I know sometimes it feels like God went on an extended leave of absence. Sometimes you wonder, God, you're the one that made this promise, not me. You're the one that put me up to this. Where's it at? Where's my breakthrough? He's not forgotten what he's called you to. We're so looking for the evidence. But as Noah begins to finish this ark, and I know we're going through this very rapidly. But as he begins to finish this ark, God begins to send in the animals to preserve the species. 
two of each kind, a male and a female, and seven of each clean male uh, animal. And uh, these clean animals were designed to be available for sacrifice. And oh yeah, don't forget, as you're building all these floors, and as you're building all these retaining places, you've also got to feed all of these animals. Now, I... I don't know if you can picture how big it is, and we can get into the dimensions and really break it down, but all I know is, can you say claustrophobia? I don't know how many animals exactly and how many species there were in that moment. I don't know how many species have adapted since that moment from the original, but I do know that it was packed full of every living creature uh, above the earth, and, and there had to be a crazy, crazy smell in that boat. Can you imagine how crowded in the smell of that boat? Now, listen, I've been guilty and a lot of you may be guilty, too, of saying, man, it must really stink because Noah had to spend 40 days in this boat, crept up with his family. And and that sounds like torture. Some of you just came through Christmas and that was enough for Christmas Day. And some of you are freaking out because he had to spend 40 days. Well, have you ever been on a vacation with family that lasted too long? And, and you're like, you know, the, too much of a good thing is a bad thing, right? I, I've been there. I, I got three day tolerance and that's if Jesus is walking close with me and I need to get back to the house. I've hung out with you enough. But, but he didn't spend 40 days in this boat. He actually spent 370 days inside of this boat. So claustrophobia and smell really amps up your, your mind there, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine the smell? Can you imagine how much your kids would be on your nerves if you couldn't leave them for 370 days? I don't know how many timeout quarters he had in this boat, but I would say that I'm cramped up and I need out of here. But Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 says this, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet See, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heirs of the righteousness, which is according to the faith. By faith, he moved on a project that he could not see the end of. By faith, he moved on a voice that was directing him. So God looks over this whole earth and he finds eight people, eight people. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 18. I want to read the message translation and it says this. I'm going to establish a covenant with you. You'll board the ship and your sons and your wife and your son's wives will come on board with you. And you are also to take two of each living creature, a male and female, on board the ship to preserve their lives with you. Noah understood, I'm not just building a boat This wasn't some hobby of his he had in his driveway. He wasn't building something because he was a creative, crafty guy. He was building something to save lives. And you've got to understand that God is building something on the inside of you that's not just to make your resume nicer. He's not building something on the inside of you to give you more goosebumps. He's building something on the inside of you, disciple of Christ, that is ultimately going to lead people to the cross, that's going to save lives, that's going to make a difference in this world. He's building something on the inside of you. In fact, the ark is a symbol or a type or a shadow of Jesus. It's it's a place where you can go and be safe and rise above the storm. It's a place where you can hide. It's a place of shelter. It's a rock that's higher than I. 
It's a place where you can hide. So this, this boat is also symbolic of what Jesus can do to you when everything is going apart. What were these people doing as Noah's in the driveway building this massive boat? Well, Jesus gives us a little glimpse on the inside of what's happening in the culture at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also the coming of the Son of Man will be. I'm going to tell you that's some sobering teaching by Jesus the Christ right there. And what he's saying is people went on as life is normal until the day that Noah entered into the ark. It's amazing to me to see that transaction, that, that transition, that, that evolving moment when when you're in a relationship with God and God begins to elevate you out of a thing that's trying to consume you. Have you ever been there when God's mercy and grace just lands on your life and you feel so wrapped up in so many ways, but then you begin to feel this lifting happening and you, and you begin to rise above the storm? But then you watch those who are unbelievers and you can watch them begin to sink even deeper into their tragedy. Listen, there's times when you look at people that don't know anything about God and you think it's unfair. But I'm going to tell you, there's going to come a day when you're going to rise above all the things that are defeating you. There's going to come a day when the mercy and the grace of God can land upon you and rise you up above everything that's trying to consume you. And those without Jesus, those without Jesus are going to begin to sink. And I hate to say that... uh, Because the waters began to rise. But the Bible says that God shut the door. There are people in your life that don't want anything to do with God. Some of them are making more money, living in nicer houses, driving better cars. And you look at me and you say, Pat, it's not fair. They seem to be more blessed than I. But there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day when it doesn't matter what they have. It's all going to melt away. It's all going to rust away. And what you have, the most rich thing that's, that you have in your life is going to ultimately rise you above because God at some point will shut that door. I've not come to you preaching fear tactics. I'm, I'm not some old school preacher in that regard. I'm not going to preach you into hell because I don't believe it's God's will for any to perish. But there will be a day when the opportunity of receiving Jesus as your Christ will be over. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. I'm still blown away as God looks at this earth. There's millions and millions of people. And he found eight. Eight people that hadn't completely lost their mind. Eight people that he believes he can rebuild mankind through. Now that's what I refer to as a remnant. Out of the millions of people on this earth, he looks and he finds eight people. And Noah found grace with God. So here's a question that, that I had so many times. If God is all-knowing, why would He allow this world to get so stinking jacked up? If God is all-knowing, if He knows the end from the beginning, if nothing happens that surprises Him, how did He allow this world to get so crazy? And there's one answer to that, and it's called free will. Free will. 
Now listen, uh, how many of you could agree that your free will has got you into all kinds of trouble in your life? You have the right to do whatever you want to do. And I've exercised that right in many stupid ways. And, uh, and I've paid the price for a lot of my free will. But let me remind you, God was never interested in building a religion. God was never interested in building a bunch of robots. He created a family. And he understood this. In order to have a relationship with people, they must have free will. The reality is, without free will, guys, without free will, there's no such thing as worship. Without free will, there's no such thing as worship. You understand worship is not a slow song that makes you cry, right? Worship means I bow my knee to you in every aspect of my life, God. I put you in the first place. That's what worship is. Worship says, I don't have to. You're not demanding me to. But God, I worship you. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And he says this. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Get this last part. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. I believe that some of you are sitting here today and I applaud you. Because some of you have asked Jesus to be your Savior. Some of you have given God your time. Some of you have given God some of your money. Some of you have even given God some of your talents. But what God is seeking the most is your worship. You understand that God is seeking your worship. Why is worship so important to God? Because worship can never be demanded. It can only be given. I can make you do some things when I point a gun at your head. But I can never make you worship me. I can make you do a lot of things by creating all kinds of laws. But I can never make you worship me. You'll never worship what you haven't given your heart to. You'll never worship what you haven't given your heart to. And I believe the reason that this world is so crazy is because of this awesome thing that God gave us called free will. And He looks upon the earth and He can't find anybody that hasn't got sideways. Anybody, any family that hasn't controlled their lineage long enough to say, I'm going to bring my Savior Through your family, Noah. God has called each person here. Every one of you to build something. God has called each of you to build something. For some of you, He's called you to deep waters in your spirit. Some of you, you're praying for something and you still haven't seen it. Some of you, when you close your eyes at night, you see this promise. You feel this tug on your heart. You see this vision. And you've been praying for it night after night. And it seems the next day, it's the same old routine. And and you keep praying, God, what about that thing that you birthed inside of me? I can see it as clear as day. And every day I wake up to the same old, same old. And I have to wonder what's going through Noah's mind. Every day he gets up and he builds this boat and... He hasn't seen what's been promised. He hasn't even seen a drop of rain. He, he may even have trouble understanding exactly what a flood is and what exactly is going to happen. But every day he gets up and he's faithful. 
He's called you to build something. He's called Noah to build something to shelter you from something you've never seen. I'm going to tell you that God's going to equip you before the crisis. Do you understand that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to avoid crisis in your life? In fact, I would suggest that if you're born again, you're probably going to have a little more. Why? Because it's during those times that God develops us. And I, and I hate that. I wish there was a test that we can take on a written piece of paper. But there's not. It's always through experience that He develops us. And not everything that God is telling you to build is tangible. If we ask you to go build a church on the other side of town, or we tell you to go to a third world nation and build a church, you'll be able to touch what God's telling you to build. But for many of you here in this place, God's telling you to build something you've never set your eyes on. It's not even tangible. He's not telling a lot of you to build with hammer and wood and nails. Some of you are building legacies for your children and your children's children. Some of you are building a safe place for people that are hurting. Some of you are building yourself up in your most holy faith. Some of you are building a ministry and you've not even stepped behind a pulpit yet. Some of you, God is called to a certain kind of faith. You're not quite there yet, but every day there's an urgency inside of you. And you're giving this birthing process. And you said, one day I'm going to walk in this power. One day I'm going to walk in this gift. One day I'm going to quit all this doubting and disbelief, but God is developing and building something on the inside of you. Some of you don't even know your purpose yet. Some of you are so stinking frustrated, I feel it. I know for many years I'm sitting there doing a secular job knowing I'm called into full-time ministry. There's nothing more frustrating than God telling you you're great and you ain't seeing no evidence of greatness. I feel you all, I feel you. But all you know is you're being led by your spirit, man. There's something. And sometimes when you share this with people, be careful who you share it with. Because some of them are going to laugh at you. Because they know you. And they said, God would never build that in you. You, you don't qualify for that. You, you're not strong enough. I, I know your weaknesses. Some people have even laughed at themselves, much like Moses and Sarah. And say, yeah, are you serious, God? You want me to do what with what? I understand what it's like. And I know what it's like to turn on the news and I don't watch too much. I, I, I scroll the headlines and I, I try to stay aware of what's happening. But if you watch the news very long, you're going to understand it feels like this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And where there is no news, they'll make some news, right? Be careful everything that you drink in. Take it with a grain of salt. Just because it's on TV doesn't mean it's true. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. But the reality is these are evil days. In Noah's days, the Bible says that the heart of men were constantly evil. And it reminds me of another time. In my mind's eye, I go to the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was given... But at that time, we celebrate the day of Pentecost. We celebrate all this outpouring of the Spirit. But I want you to understand what happened. They were hiding in this room because there was great Christian persecution. Listen, we, we, we read about the power and all the great things that happened over in Acts chapter 2. We, we, we celebrate those awesome things, but we don't understand that we're in hunker-down mode because people were dying if you say you knew Jesus. Whether you agree with all the teachings and everything that happened in that upper room, I'm going to leave that to you. But I'll tell you what I do know. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, 
But I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Let me do some teaching right here. <laughs> and, and I know this is probably the, the man of God's uh, place to do it. But I think he'll give me a little liberty here. Um, God did not give you the power of the Holy Spirit so you can clap louder. God did not give you the power of the Holy Spirit so you can dance a little freakier. God didn't give you the power of the Spirit so you could shout a little louder. He gave it to you to be His witnesses. The power of the Holy Spirit is that you might be my witnesses into all the earth. Being a witness is not determined by how high your bun is and how low your dress goes. Being witnesses has nothing to do with standing on a corner preaching people into hell. Being a witness of God and the power of the Holy Spirit is not going door to door and passing out tracts. It's to be a witness. And it says, not only will you see what I'm doing, you're not just going to be eyewitnesses, but you're going to be my display models of power. You're going to be my display models of power in a genuine faith, even if it means dying for it. What I know is in this moment, when they're, when they're afraid, guys, listen, Jesus wasn't popular on the day of Pentecost. That's why he hung on a tree. They're hunkering down, and, and, but there was 120 people that were seeking the face of God in a world that had a spirit of antichrist. Does it sound familiar? You know, you, you can say God, you can say the man upstairs, you can say that there's, a, there's a, a, a greater power, but you say the name of Jesus and there's going to be static in your life and it's going to be very quickly. And the reason is there's a spirit, there's a mindset that is anti-Christ and the very thing happened on the day of Pentecost. But there was a power shift that happened in this room. There was a power shift that happened in the spirit world. Can I tell you, just because you walk in the power of the Spirit of God, doesn't mean you're going to get a tent and become some faith healer. Can I tell you, when you get filled with the power of God, that doesn't mean you're going to get a bus. I believe God is looking for some people who may never hold a microphone, but God wants to use them mightily. I believe He wants witnesses that don't need a stage. I believe He needs people to be turned on fire for God. Do you know you can be on fire for God and not lose your marbles? Did you know that? Listen, I've been around Pentecostal, full gospel, charismatic world for a while, and I've seen the circus that can happen. But there is a power of the Holy Spirit, and you don't have to be goofy. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. If you're goofy here, you might get corrected. Listen, flow in the Spirit. Express yourself. But don't be weird. I tell you that every time I preach, don't I? <laughs> I'm like, man, refer to the old notes on that. <laughs> if you're under the impression that walking in the Spirit means you're some weirdo that lost touch with reality. Have you ever met these kind? <sighs> Come on, man. I'm not going to talk to you. You're jacked up. Put whatever label you want. You're an unapproachable. Don't be that person, please. Don't be that person. If you are, don't say you come here. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
<laughs> but God forgive the church for painting that picture that if you're really powerful, you're going to be strange and out of touch with reality. If you're that weird person, let me challenge you. Stop it. Being full of the Spirit. What it means. Listen, have you ever noticed those people that are really strange have the most jacked up personal lives? Have you ever noticed that? I have. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's just me. I better get back over here to the notes. But I think it's amazing how they can save everybody's life and theirs is in the toilet. It blows me away. Being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that makes you a witness, He's going to give you enough power to handle your life. Let me tell you something, baby. Take care of your house and try to fix everybody else's all the time. Take care of your stuff before you go set everybody else's free. That's just a soapbox that I better step off of because nobody's amen in me. But quit trying to save the world and overlook your own personal life. Back to my notes. What it means is God's going to give you enough power to take care of your life and enough to help out someone else. He's going to be able to take care of your personal life. Do you know you don't have to fall apart at every crisis? Do you know you don't have to fold like a cheap suit every time you get a bad email? Did you know you don't have to freak out when somebody says something about you? Do you know you don't have to fall apart? There is a power. The power of the Holy Spirit isn't to make you dance right here. It's to make you be witnesses out there. Now listen, in my real life, I know there are some crazy things that happen in service. And they are good and they are godly. And I've seen some strange things. I've done some strange things. But I'm going to tell you, in my real life, I would much rather you discreetly grab my hand and pray a prayer of faith. Instead of trying to cause a circus. Have you ever noticed a lot of them try to cause everybody to look at them? <laughs> Just a thought. Listen, you can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and you can help your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, your schoolmates without being strange. But it's because you have a power that keeps you together and enough to share with somebody else. You may say, Pat, I don't qualify to be part of the remnant in the last days. And of all the people on the day of Pentecost that God could have used, he chose this dude named Peter. Peter. Yes, Peter spent a lot of time with Jesus. He did a lot of lunches with Jesus. He, he camped out with Jesus. He went from town to town. Peter seen so many things. But I want you to know Peter made a ton of mistakes. And let me give you a quick read of his resume. He's the one that got the revelation that Jesus was the Christ. But he was also the one that tried to stop the arrest of Jesus. And Jesus said, dude, get behind me. You're trying to stop my father's will. He's the one who had enough faith to get out of the boat and walk on the water. But he got distracted and he began to sink. Peter, this guy, denied even knowing the man Jesus three times in one day. So don't you feel better? Because God restored Peter for such a time as this. Hey, if you go to, to Acts, the second and the third chapter, you're going to find that Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost. Jesus restored him. And I have to wonder when Peter stood up on that day of Pentecost, there was a ton of people there and he began to preach with such power. The same guy that had failed and failed and failed. This hothead, this guy with a short temper, this guy that was so angry sometimes. Yes, God used him. He restored him because God looked and said, I need a man 
that in the middle of everything that's happening that I can use. And I have to wonder when Peter wasn't standing there on the day of Pentecost, if he didn't have a flashback three and a half years later, man. Three and a half years ago, I'm sitting on my boat washing my nets and a man named Jesus come walking along the shore. And he says, I know you're a fisherman, but I'll make you fishers. Of men, And he's standing here in this moment, he's, he's, he's preaching Jesus and the gospel. And what drew thousands of people on that day of Pentecost to receive Jesus was it wasn't just some circus atmosphere. It was a real and a present power of the Spirit in that place, in that moment. Guys, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I know some of you aren't comfortable with every expression of some people, but don't disqualify the true present power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you don't worship like we worship. Maybe you don't praise like the next person next to you prays. Whatever you do, do it here. But don't disqualify the Spirit of God. Because that's the only thing that's going to break you out of where you are into where you need to be. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that will keep you from falling apart. And I sense, really I do, down in my spirit that some of you are feeling such a tenacity in the beginning of this year. Some of you have begun to fast and rededicate and consecrate yourself to God. And you're feeling the tenacity down and and a deep desire to focus. And you're really pressing in to hear from God. And you want to hear like you've never heard before. I'm going to tell you, I believe that God is raising up a remnant God has and God always will have a people that he can rise up no matter how bad the culture is. Look throughout this word. The people that he used, he brought them up on a time when it looked like it was all lost. Time after time. For the sake of time, we don't have time to go over all of it, but he always has a people. He always has a remnant No matter how popular Jesus is, no matter how popular God is, He always raises up people. And you may say, look, I'm just not good enough. You don't know the struggles I have. I'm here to tell you that God's not looking for a perfect person. He's looking for a willing person. If God was looking for a perfect person, He wouldn't look anywhere in humanity. Because the Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Can I tell you, you're not going to impact this world the way you are. It's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're operating in the level of it, but God wants to have more power downloaded into you. So what is it that we can learn from this builder by the name of Noah? In this scene where evil is being destroyed, there is a God who loves. And he warns Noah. And I like to think that this prayer goes something like this, Noah... There's going to be some tough days ahead. And I want you to do what I direct you to do. I want you to keep walking with me. I want you to keep listening to me. And I'll give you step by step on how to get out of this mess. I'll give you step by step on how to rise above all the calamity. I'm going to give you step by step everything. And it seems like everything's falling apart against you. It feels like names are being raised up against you. People are talking about you. But regardless of what persecution you have, guys, we've got to continue to live. Don't stop living. Don't go into survival mode. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. You may say, I'm afraid. I'm scared. God's not giving you the spirit of fear. 
He's given you love and a sound mind. And if you're not operating in there, listen, you're doing exactly what the enemy would have you to do. We've got to keep loving people. Listen, there's a lot of people that aren't very lovely out there. When I think of the city of Richmond and the heroin problem and the, and the unemployment problem and the income problem and the poverty problem, it's real easy to say, I see my culture and it's not doing what it should be doing. And it's real easy to stop loving. It's real easy to stop living. It's real easy to hunker down. It's real easy to let this surrounding begin to steal you from your worship life. But don't stop worshiping. We're building a kingdom that's not of this world. It's a place where people can come to Jesus. That will not only change their lives, but you understand it will change their eternity. If he can build you personally, guys. He'll build us corporately. And together we can build the kingdom in this community. Listen, this is my city. This is my city. I don't know where you're from. I don't know what you call home. But Richmond is the seat of Wayne County. It's the place where the government happens. It's the place where a lot of the commercial things happen. But I want you to understand that don't roll over just because things are looking bad. Don't stop praying just because things are looking bad. Don't quit living. Don't quit worshiping. Don't believe the lies. Because wherever there is persecution, there is a remnant. Wherever it's not cool to be down with Jesus, there is Jesus' people. And I don't know what it's like in your factory and in your school and your office. I don't know, but I know He's got you there for a reason. It's not happenstance that God planted you in a dark place. And I know what it's like to walk into a place where you think, man, all I'm going to do is work with all these heathens that are hateful. But God's got you there for a reason. Do you understand that is your missions field? You don't have to get an international flight to have a missions field. God's called you. God's called you. Maybe you're here today, like in the day of Noah, and you got so busy with your life. You forgot about eternal things. I know what it's like to raise babies, to do your budget. End of the year, you're trying to recoup from Christmas. You get so sidetracked, you're just looking for some normalcy. I'm going to tell you, when you're distracted, your spirituality gets tanked. But this beginning of the year, we're calling you to a fast. We're calling you to reconsecrate yourself to this word. To get to a place where you get inside of him and you hide in his presence. Can I tell you this? This is going to sound old school, but I don't apologize for it. Every one of you are going to spend eternity somewhere. You will not die. Your body will die, but you will not die. This is just the start of your life. And that sounds old school, doesn't it? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Nobody here is going to ultimately die. You're going to live for an eternity. But the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ and He was raised from the dead, He's going to start a change in you. And let me tell you, this change is going to be a process that you walk out a little by little. But I want you just to bow your heads right now in this house as we close. And if you're away from Jesus and you don't walk with Him like you used to walk, 
There was a time when you were on fire for God, but something seemed to overshadow your strength. Something seemed to make you drift away. Today, this morning, I'm calling you back to the cross. Some of you have felt the Holy Spirit tugging on your heartstrings. Saying, I got to get back to where I was. I got to get back to the side of Jesus. I've got to get back so I can feel his closeness and his power and his peace. I want you to receive it right now. By faith and through grace. Lord, we receive what you did for us at Calvary. Lord, we grab onto it because we're convinced. Lord, we have faith. Lord, I pray that right now that you would wash us of every sin. Every time that we've stumbled, Lord, you shed blood for us. Lord, you looked ahead of time and you saw the struggles that we would have even today. And you died once and for all for every failure. And Lord, right now in our hearts, we appropriate that blood that was dropped at Calvary. And Lord, you say, though we're as scarlet, we can be washed white as snow. So Lord, right now, we receive you fresh and new. Maybe you're here today like Noah and God is building something on the inside of you. And you've laid down your hammer and you've laid down your saw and you said, it's not going to happen. I'm going to tell you, God has not forgotten what he's called you to. Lord, breathe a new passion on the inside of us. Lord, let faith arise. Lord, let us go back to building what you've called us to build. Restore a passion inside of us. Lord, we receive your strength right now. We receive your strength right now. Would you stand up all over the house with your eyes closed? Lord, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Rejoice to us. The strength and the passion and the peace that we once walked in. Holy Spirit, fall right now in this house. Capture our hearts. Capture our minds. Restore us. Restore us, God. We're coming back to you hungry and thirsty again. Lord, we're coming back to you with our hands lifted, saying, Take us all, God. Take every bit. Our dreams, our hopes, our passions. Restore us. We surrender every bit of ourselves back to you. Bowing at your cross. Let us be who you've called us to be. Lord, let us build something on the inside of us. So that we can build your kingdom here in Richmond. Lord, that we can build a place where people can run to. A place of a safe place where they can rise above the storms of this life. Lord, they don't have to be overtaken with the flood. But in you, you can sustain our lives. We can be born again into a new life. You can transform us into who you've called us to be. Lord, we run back to your cross today. We worship you. Just raise your hand for a moment. I want you to see all the stuff in your life just falling away. All the drama. 
Lord, we release every hurt. Lord, we release every pain. Lord, we release every offense. Lord, we let it all go because you're building something greater in us than any hurt. Lord, you're building something greater in us than any offense. Build us, God. Build your people. Lord, we're running back to you. We know we've got to have you. You're the king of these people. Lord, blow upon our fire once again. Lord, our mission field is sometimes dark. Lord, may we expand your kingdom. Lord, may we make this place as it is in heaven. Lord, we declare this city is your dominion. This is your city. Lord, you've not abandoned Richmond. Lord, you've not turned your back on us. Lord, we're calling back to you. Have your grace on us. Have your grace upon this city, upon our leaders, upon our industry, upon our commerce, upon the people of God, upon every church. Lord, may your mercy flood the city of Richmond because you've called us to be part of your kingdom. Restore your kingdom today. Restore your people and restore our passion. We ask in the name that's above every name name of Jesus.